0: Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. Today's gospel lesson at first blush, may seem that it is at odds with what we as beneficiaries of the Reformation hold to be true about salvation and justification. This word seems to be at odds with St. Paul's assertion that we are justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says this in direct opposition to a requirement from Jewish Christians that Gentile Christians receive the marks of the covenant between God and Abraham, namely circumcision. And yet, in the gospel lesson, we hear Jesus say that the law and the prophets are not being abolished, struck down, or abandoned. What are we to make of this? Straight away, I want to assure you that scripture is not contradicting itself, nor does St. Paul repudiate Jesus himself. The same spirit that inspired St. Paul to write that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the same spirit who is sent by Christ Jesus to reveal all truth. If this were not so, then we would have to doubt Paul, along with many of the voices in the early church who attested that Paul was an apostle sent by Jesus. This causes a problem because that would leave us with hardly any trustworthy sources In regards to Jesus Christ, since nearly all of the, since, no, since all of the apostles acknowledged St. Paul as being sent just as they were. So, since we accept St. Paul as an apostle, we accept his teachings as having their origin in Jesus Christ. Similarly, the same sure and certain witnesses who accepted St. Paul's teachings and writings likewise accepted St. Matthew's gospel. Therefore, we can be assured that Jesus truly said, not an iota, not a dot of the law will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And we can similarly be assured that when St. Paul says that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that this is not at odds with Jesus' teaching. Instead of pitting Jesus and Paul against each other, Let us take in the depths of the gospel message so that we too can understand how St. Paul came to say that we are justified by faith and not works of the law. Jesus tells the crowd listening to his teaching that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets. This warning preempts a common reaction we have to perceive new teachings. We assume that the new teaching makes the old invalid or unnecessary. Indeed, there are an unfortunately significant number of Christians who take saved by faith alone as license to forget the law, especially the moral code both for personal and societal conduct. When Jesus says that until heaven and earth pass away, the law will not be changed in the slightest until all is accomplished, we are to understand the permanence and enduring quality of the law. It is not some momentary whim of God That he forced on Israel as a condition of their covenant with him. The same word of God who put forward the law for Moses and the Israelites is the same word who underpins the whole of creation, and he is the same word who says that the law is not being abolished. My initial reaction to thinking like this is dismay, as I'm sure that some of those hearing this firsthand probably felt. The law is presented to us as a taskmaster, a thing to be kept holy or to be guilty of transgressing the whole thing. If this is your frame of reference for understanding the law, that it stands as a constant reminder of our failure to be what God intended us to be, then hearing that it will endure until the end of all things can hardly be a comfort. As I think on it, however, the permanence of the law does bring comfort. It reassure, reassures us that Almighty God is not one of the many capricious and all too human beings the pagans often served. The endurance of the law stands as a testament to God's own changelessness, as well as the endurance of his promises. Think about this. If the law were revoked, what of those who benefited from the promises of keeping faith with God? You cannot say, Well, of course, they have nothing to fear, because we base that trust on God's changelessness. The law is presented as so foundational to a right relationship with God that its abolition would rightly call into question our continued standing with God. In short, if the law is impermanent, then we have no reason to trust that God's mercy, love, and steadfastness are any less transient. The sure and certain witness of Scripture tells us that humans are deeply flawed, even to our roots, and that we can do nothing on our own to earn a place at God's table. So if the law is enduring and lasting until the end of time, and we are unable to keep it perfectly, how do we have any hope of standing uncondemned under that law before God? The straightforward answer, the one that Jesus is driving at, is that there is no hope to be found in even the most pedantic law-keeping. Keeping Keeping the law once does not satisfy it for all time thereafter, nor does it undo failing to keep it in the past. As St. James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. The Pharisees thought they were righteous in keeping the letter of the law, but Jesus testifies that their righteousness is lacking, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Since the Pharisees are later revealed to be deficient and having a right heart before God, and their love of God and neighbor is repudiated, no matter no, no amount of piety and observance of the law of Moses can justify them before God. Therefore, Jesus' statement that we must have be more righteous than the Pharisees contains a layered message. Taken at face value, the righteousness of the Pharisees is insufficient. And since they are held up as the pinnacle of piety and righteous living, Jesus says that we must be more righteous than those who are held to be the most righteous. Since we know that all humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that there is no one who is good, no, not one, then this statement is not a surprise to our ears. But to the crowd, it likely would have sounded like Jesus was saying something much like when he says that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. It is a near impossibility. A second meaning is that, of course, the righteousness of the Pharisees is only a surface righteousness. Their righteousness is nothing when compared to the man who is the most unlearned and ignorant of the Torah, but who shows mercy and love to his neighbors, loves God more than his own gain, and humbles himself in the eyes of the Lord. Similarly, the poor woman who gives all that she has to the temple shows more love to God than the most strict rule-keeping done without mercy or pity. Even so... Whether the interpretation is that we are to be more righteous than the most publicly righteous people, or that the most publicly righteous people are not themselves all that righteous, the rest of Scripture points out that law-keeping is unable to save us and make us right before God. So it seems to me that there must be a third way to receive this lesson, one which bridges what seems to be a gap between the permanence of the law and its requirements on the one hand— and justification by faith in Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation on the other. Why does Jesus say that he has come, since he has not come to abolish the law? He says he comes to fulfill the law. What is meant by this fulfillment of the law? The law, especially where it concerns the worship of God in the tabernacle and later in the temple, contains many foreshadowings of the gospel— The sacrificial system itself is set up to provide a point of reference so that God's people will understand what it is that Jesus does when he goes to the cross. This is one sense in which Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Beyond this, though, the fulfillment of the law provides a way for satisfying the debt that arises from our being in violation of the law. Because Jesus is without sin, he is the unblemished and spotless lamb required by the law to be killed for atonement. Because Jesus fulfills the law by performing the one sacrifice that is sufficient for all time, he satisfies both the penalty of the law and the systems set up by the law that required continual sacrifices to atone for sin. In this fulfillment, Jesus proves that he alone is righteous above even what the Pharisees would be if they were as righteous as they thought they were. He is the one whose righteousness exceeds the most publicly righteous, whether or not they are actually as righteous as they are perceived to be. And in God's loving mercy, we are given a way to participate in his righteousness so that we too are counted as more righteous than the Pharisees. This is how St. Paul can say that we are justified by faith in Christ Jesus. If we have a living, enduring faith in the Son of God, then we are clothed in his righteousness, and the law is no threat to us. To say it is not a threat is not to say that it is of no notice or importance to us. Instead, it means that the enemy has nothing in the law that can be used to accuse us before God, no means to snare us and drag us into the hell of fire with him. The Collect for this week asks God to keep the church as his household and family in the true religion that is right worship of God. We further pray that we who trust in the hope of your heavenly grace may always be defended by your mighty power. This trust is the faith we have in Jesus Christ the hope of grace to deliver us from the penalty we have duly earned under the law. Today is the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, traditionally called Septuagesima, as there are now 70 days between now and Easter. Even though Lent has not yet started, the lectionary has already begun to remind us of the great burden of our sins and the great gift that we have received in Jesus' passion, death, and burial and resurrection. I urge you to follow this lead and contemplate over this week the law, not as a tool for beating us down, but as a testament to the character and nature of God. A fantastic way to do this is to study and pray the 119th Psalm. This is the longest psalm in the Psalter, and much of it focuses on the beauty and goodness of God's law. When I read it, I do so frequently with Jesus's purity and righteousness in mind. The psalmist makes assertions about blamelessness that I cannot make apart from participating in Jesus's own righteousness, as I've preached about today. If you find reading the psalm daunting due to its length, break it up over the course of the week, pray it at midday, which is traditionally when it would be prayed. The psalm consists of 22 sections one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. As a bonus, you can ask Father Ben for a pointed printout to chant the psalm each day. (laughs) May we be found faithful in Jesus, that his righteousness would be ours, justifying us before God and saving us through his grace and mercy. Amen.